from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, the podcast for all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between. Alongside Sean Fazand and John Bennett producing, maybe Juan Kincaid will stop by. Garland Gillen's here to talk prep later. We are talking Saints to start off our triple coverage edition this week. But first, a quick request and reminder to subscribe to the podcast. Also, please rate and review it and tell your friends. And if you want to get in touch with us, please tell your friends. Help us spread the word. Now, Sean Fazan, let us get to it. Saints bounce back against the Bucks. Um I think it was a game. Did we overreact to the Falcons' I, loss? I, I don't think we did. I think we, we had the right time. I think the fan base did because that's what the fan base does. But I think overall we had the right mindset. We just wanted to make sure it was not going to be a habit. And we wanted to see that uh, I, I, it wasn't so much winning. It was stylistically. Did you come out with a, a very clear-cut tone? I thought they did. I thought they were pretty deliberate. I thought the plan was much better. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Peyton got caught snoozing last week. I really do. I think he took a little longer of a vacation uh, in the bye week. And I thought that was not his best plan. I think he, he even knows that. So, uh, you know, and I don't know if you were in the locker room at all this week or last week. but I was. There wasn't a whole lot that needed to be said. I mean, I think they understood that they messed up. But even like the the, the interaction between reporter and and player, there wasn't a whole lot to really harp on because it was no. just kind of one of those things where, okay, we know we screwed up, we got to get better. Let's just see what happens Sunday, and then we'll have a fresh set of storylines. And that's exactly what happened. It was very business like, very matter of fact, very let's get in, get this job done, and it really shut that game down early. I was going through the tape, Chris Hagan, and. I didn't realize because it felt like Dennis Allen blitzed more than I realized. Uh, then it felt like he blitzed a lot during the game. It was more than I realized. I mean, I'm um right before their last drive of the fourth quarter, of the Bucks. I'm at 19 blitzes. If that indeed goes over 20, that is the most he's blitzed the entire year, and he did so without Marshawn Lattimore on the back end. Well, I think that shows that they knew what they were going to get against Jameis. It helps that they were playing with a lead. Very much. You're not as as worried about exposing yourself on the back end when you're playing with a lead. But I think at this point, this feels like worse Jameis than ever. And you just know what you're going to to get out of him when you put pressure on him. And he didn't disappoint. (laughs) He was throwing some of those balls up for grabs. Marcus Williams returned one for a pick six, the first of his life, he says. So... um, I, I would say it was an effective game plan. And, again, and I think I think that's what you get when you're playing with a lead. To get back to the point you had a second ago, or transitioning from the, the Falcons to the Bucks, I just found it interesting that after that game, there were more questions about referencing that Falcons loss than I've ever heard, like, during a press conference referencing the loss the week before. Right. Like, everybody was still asking. That was our, our lead. That was our yeah. lead. Everybody was still asking, so – you know this, like for confirmation, mm-hmm. this proves Falcons was a was a bad game, right? Like this should never happen again. Or just the fact that it, it was a game that if the Saints didn't perform well against the Bucks, do you start to question things? That's I, it. And I think that's it was the confirmation that all is still okay. This team is still really good. Um, the Falcons are just a bad team. I just found that interesting because well, I and think I think it's all, because it's the Falcons. Well, I, that and I, and I think we all. 
you know, at least in, in my case, when I cover a game, I generally leave a game with an with a, a main theme of the game. And for me, it was bounce back, erase the taste of Atlanta. So, and, and clearly I was not alone. If you listen to the questions that were asked, I mean, there was a lot of questions about, well, getting back to normal after last week, after last week, after last week. And, and you know, credit the players. They understood that. They answered those questions uh, in the way that you would expect uh, when, when they understood what we were getting at, and they mm-hmm. clearly wanted to get that message out. Saints are still an elite team. I will still take them in the NFC right now. Uh, if you look at the elite teams in the NFC, I will still take them. I think the Saints are the deepest team in the NFC. I think they're the most consistent team in the NFC. And right now, they're back on the right page. Yes, but look, you, you can't have any more slip-ups. You just got to keep rolling because yeah. you know there are teams starting to creep up here like Minnesota and Dude. you know Kirk Cousins is starting to play really well without Adam Thielen. Mm-hmm. So when he comes back, he's going to be better. You know, there's the Cowboys. You know, these, there's these teams that that are battle-tested that are kind of surging a little bit. So the Saints have to keep winning. That's what I was just looking at a second ago. Is you look at this playoff picture, and it's a bit deceiving. You've got the 49ers and Packers who would currently um, just given the bye weeks and the way things mm-hmm. have played out so far, um, they would be the one and the two, and the Saints would be a three seed. They would draw the Vikings, and then the the Cowboys would draw the Seahawks. And But that could easily be 49ers as a wild card if uh-huh. the Seahawks win that division. It could easily be the Packers as a wild card if the Vikings win that division. My point being, between the 49ers, Seahawks, Packers, and Vikings, those are some ridiculously dangerous wild card teams. Yeah. You don't want to face them wild card weekend. You need that buy. You want to guarantee a divisional round home game. I think it's more vital than ever because all of these teams scare me, maybe outside of Dallas, but they're still super dangerous because um we've seen flashes of what that offense can do. Look, I absolutely hundred percent agree. And I think the top tier top five to six teams in the NFC, regardless of who they end up, regardless of, of how the sitting ends up, I think it's going to be very, it, it, that's a good group. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a really good group because it looks like it's going to be San Francisco, Seattle, Green Bay, Minnesota, Saints. Who am I missing? Um, Cowboys. And Cowboys. But, I mean, they're, they're, I think they're tied with the Eagles. Or no, so, the well, Eagles are a game and a half behind, but so they still got to play each other. Whoever wins the East, is gonna, that's the only person that yeah. is probably going to get in. But point being, I guess you could say that yeah, – I, I, I think we'd all like the Saints matchup over the Eagles. Saw that last year. But even a Cowboys team that you barely beat. And with Dak, they have not beaten them a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just say the Saints, it is in the Saints' best interest to keep on winning. They know it. Um, I like where their head's at. Um, they have Carolina this week, a team that's uh, – They are kinda, becoming who kinda, they are. Kind of doing what they did last year. Remember last year, like, they were like 6-1 and one at one point, and then they just fell off the map. We were all kind of thinking this is going to be a race for the NFC South, and they just fell off the map. The thing with that was it was with Cam Newton. Right, he started to get injured. But I think this year it's less of a surprise. It's more of they are becoming who they are. Um, the Kyle Allen story was fun, and I'm not discounting him. I think he's a decent quarterback, and it's a decent team. Any defense with Luke Keekley and Dante Jackson, a couple of those guys, and the um, guys along their defensive line is still going to be respected enough, but – this wasn't. I don't ever think this was a team that Kyle Allen was just going to come in and carry into the playoffs or into a wild card spot, given the state of the NFC and some of the teams 
that we just talked about. I think they're becoming a little bit of who they are, and that's a team that McCaffrey's going to get his, mm -hmm. but you can very much shut down this passing game, and the Falcons demoralized them in Carolina last week. And maybe, just maybe, the Falcons are becoming the team we all thought they would be with and, their last two efforts. And they're probably... They're they're done for the playoff conversation more I than likely. I thought that team was going to contend in the South, but they they are here to spoil to seasons spoil at people, this point, right? Man. Like and if you got them on the your coach. schedule, that's not really going to be a fun game for you right it, now. Like that Thanksgiving night game looks a lot harder now. Yeah, looks a lot more difficult. But back to the Panthers. Kyle Allen is just not at the point in his development with where. You know, his role going into the season has completely changed. Obviously, he was viewed as the backup. Now he's thrust into this role. Did a pretty good job of kind of minimizing mistakes. He is not at the point of his development where he can go out and throw nine interceptions in four games and expect the Panthers to win. He's just not good enough to make enough good plays to overcome that. Then you're relying even more and more uh, on Christian McCaffrey, um, who's got close to 1,600 total yards right now. Um, and who is, who is their leading receiver? Is it um, – God, I just had it on the top of my head. Uh, DJ Moore. DJ Moore. So he he is their, their, their receiver. But I just watched the Saints throw a bunch of exotic looks at Jameis Winston, a five-year veteran. I would imagine Dennis Allen is probably cooking up a few right now uh, for the first-year starter in Kyle Allen. And to your point, just real quick, you mentioned the lead. The Saints really didn't start blitzing against Tampa Bay until the second quarter. After they were up 13 nothing, So they just pinned their ears back and just, got, and just got, kind of took off and fired away. Um, I think we've got some interesting questions. We can get to a couple of these as I'm Let's going do through it. final word submissions. One, and we've kind of poked around this one for a little while. George from Metairie asks, why don't they play Emmanuel Butler and Lil' Jordan Humphrey? Um, that's a valid question. Austin Carr hasn't given you much. He's a healthy scratch some weeks. Um Traquan Smith has been injured a lot, so little Jordan Humphrey has gotten his time. They have turned to this 81, Hogan. He's gotten snaps. He hasn't caught anything, but he's gotten – he is getting more snaps. He's active over Austin Carr, who's been in your program for three years. Yeah. It's an, it's a, it is a tough riddle to crack what Sean Payton sees in, in some of these receivers past your um, top three right now of Thomas, Ginn, and Traquan Smith. That's a great point. Because I mean, this guy Hogan was off the street. Butler's been around. Who I thought was a who I I actually thought outplayed little Jordan Humphrey. And you know we've said it before. We'll say it again. I mean, outside of Des Bryant, no no player has captured the imagination more of Saints fans everywhere than little Jordan Humphrey. <laughs> I mean, this the <laughs> completely over the top non uh, just just illogical obsession with little Jordan Humphrey just knows no bounds. But he was on, got on the field. Did nothing. Now he's back on the practice squad. I really want to see Manuel Butler because I always – like I know he had a couple drops in preseason, but if you looked at the totality of start of training camp to the end of the preseason, I thought he was ahead of little Jordan Humphrey, but clearly the Saints see it differently. Um, another question, and uh, <laughs> I think this one's more out of frustration, but it's <laughs> along those same lines. Billy from Ponchatoula wants to know, do you think we need to get rid of all of our receivers – except Thomas next year, and none of them can get open. Hey, look, look Trey Quan, I'm still waiting. Um, he didn't do anything. Against him. Did, he, did, he have a, did he have a catch against I the Bucs? I can't Bucks? recall one. Even if, so if a minute. He, if he did he not. He did not. So that's not a good sign that you can immediately just point out that he didn't have Ted an Ginn had two, but Ted Ginn's on his last year of his deal, so he'll be done after this year. Um, 
you know, I was having a discussion with someone today about Saints' biggest needs, and the, the person tried to tell me cornerback, and I said, no way. I said, it's got to be receiver because you can argue two plus a tight end if you really wanted to. Um, but, look, I, I'm, I'm watching a lot of film on how they're using Jared Cook, who's basically become another receiver. But I, I'll say this. He's done a pretty good job of doing both of inline tight end plus receiver lined up isolated or in the slot. It's not so much quantity. But it is quality. Those two catch that slant route he ran. I just watched it on film. I mean, he totally had that kid turned around. That's like a five foot ten, either nickel or safety versus a six five, two hundred sixty mm-hmm. pound tight end. Just completely shook him. So, look, this is going to be their weakness throughout the season or the rest of the season. And they got within one pl- no call of getting to the Super Bowl with this biggest weakness last year, and that was before Jared Cook, so I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, they'll they'll be okay this year. I would be interested to see the free agent market, though. That's a conversation for another day, but just what the Saints can do. Obviously, we we pinpointed the heck out of slot receiver um, during the offseason, and the Did market was just crazy for them. Um, the Cole Beasley's, Adam Humphreys, they were the Golden Tates. Golden Tate, yeah. Cost way too much money, and I think – it was money well spent on the defensive line with Malcolm Brown and other places because they certainly addressed some needs. Um, one more about the receivers. Jason from Picayune asks, is there anyone in NFL history to whom we can compare Michael Thomas? Do you expect him to become the best receiver in NFL history? The wow. dude has got a shot because of the numbers that he puts up. And as we've said a number of times, the fact that it's now proven to happen whether Drew Brees is there or not is the most remarkable thing. And he makes, you know, eight to ten reception games with 100-plus yards and a touchdown look so routine. It's not that easy. The only guys that, like, regularly put up numbers like that in recent history, a Julio Jones, um, a Calvin Johnson, um, over, like, multiple seasons, you just don't see it like this. And he's doing it without breakaway speed. Yeah. I mean, if you really watch him, he kind of – when he had that big catch and run after catch where he got – it was like a 40-plus yard game, 41 maybe. That was the first time I've ever watched him run and thought, man, he looks just like his uncle. Like, he, he, he kind of looked like the stride of Keyshawn Johnson, who was never known as a big speed guy. Um, but as for the historical context, you know, season to season, if you keep stacking him up like this – if he has a 15-year career, absolutely. Um, and he's in a good era with the, where the passing is right. obviously out of control. Um, I think we'll it, see. I think it also depends on um, partially on quarterback. That, yeah, whoever the next quarterback is. It depends on the system you play in. I mean, you look at some of the best guys statistically over seven or eight seasons, and you, you in recent history, like the last 20 years or so, names pop up like a Randy Moss who played with um, a Dante Culpepper in a system where they were airing it out. Played with some years with Tom Brady, mm-hmm. had some good years with Randall Cunningham. Um, then you look at guys with the Colts and Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, who spent the majority of their careers with a Peyton Manning. So those things certainly do play a factor. But the fact that he's gotten, you know, four seasons and counting with Breeze, um, Bridgewater's filled in, and if you're playing for Sean Payton and you're playing within a franchise that's paying you a hundred million dollars. I can't see the balls stopping coming your way. And it's interesting because Sean Payton just signed a five-year extension or agreed to terms with a five-year extension. Mike Thomas signed a five-year extension. As long as Sean Payton is the head coach, he's going to find a way to get 13th ball. So uh, regardless of who the quarterback's going to be now, unless they take a huge drastic step down in quarterback play once Breeze retires, I think he'll consistently put up 100-plus catches. Even, you know, this year is probably going to be 145, 150 
Which is nuts. I don't think he does that every year, but he'll get over 100 every year. There was a question last night if he can get to 2,000, and Deuce kind of was like, no way. And I'm thinking to myself, if he hits his average, he would, he, he would average out at just over 1,800. That's about 115 a game. So all it would really take is two games where he got 180, 185, then he might get it. Yeah. If he hit his average the rest of the, the rest of the four games and two with uh with higher numbers in yardage. I mean, those games have come. He's had um in four seasons, I think three games of 180 or more uh coming against the Bucks, the Rams thanks to that big uh I think it was either 170 or 180. What's yeah. the single season record for yardage? Oh. John Bennett, what is it? 1950-something Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson. It was yeah. a couple of years ago. It's a tough number, but for reasons that we don't know, I, some teams just don't double him. They don't give him extra attention. They leave him one-on-one and with suspect corners on him. That's on you. It, yeah. I, look, <laughs> like we said before, that's who I would target if I were a defensive coordinator, but – Look, they also got 41 in the backfield, so maybe you try to – maybe coordinators will try to take him away. I don't know. All I know is Drew Brees will take it every single time. He gets one-on-one. So, um, yeah, I, I think Mike Thomas, when it's all said and done, if he has a 15-year career uh, and he stays healthy, his numbers will be up there with Jerry Rice's when it's all said and done. Finally, let's let's actually talk about the Panthers. I don't yeah. think we've talked about them this much. Um, it's a It's a game – that we always highlight the chess match between Drew Brees and Luke Keekley, and I think it is once again valid. Um, they're a defense that has seen Brees a lot. They know his tendencies. He knows theirs. It can tend to be a tougher game sometimes because of that chess match, but mm-hmm. I do think this year, um, like you mentioned, when you've got uh, so many weapons and Jared Cook, who is probably hitting his stride right now, I think it, it favors the Saints just because it's too much for that defense to to shut down, at least over the course of 60 minutes. I think it really boils down to the offensive line play because this, this defense doesn't blitz a lot, yet they lead the league in sacks right now. They have 39. Um, so if the offensive line plays like they did last week, I think you're fine. Nick Easton played phenomenal. I just went through a lot of his uh, tape. He played really well uh, in his first start. Um, so if the offensive line comes to play, I think you'll be fine. Um, because I think they have a, a, enough of a, a diverse attack to where if, if the Panthers are successful in taking something away, they can go to something else. But remember, last year that Monday night game in Carolina. Was it Monday night in Carolina? Mm-hmm. That was ugly. That was – I don't know what the final score was, but it that was, was in uh, that – 12 to 7 that was right 12 when, to 9? That was right when it shifted after that Cowboys game to where it was like, oh, it was my goodness, to seven. Uh, what are we doing here? Because 12 to 9. They can't, they can't all of a sudden complete a pass. Um so, point being, it's it's never easy, ever easy uh, to play the Panthers when you have a guy like Keekley in the middle. Uh, and, and, look, they got Addison. They got um, uh, Eric Reed's on that roster, obviously. So, Dante Jackson. So, mm-hmm. it's it's always a, a respectable defense. I mean, even though this year, other than sacks, their numbers are more towards the middle of the pack. I would say the biggest thing that could go in the Saints' favor that will tilt this game would be kind of like we saw against the Bucks, just turnovers. Kyle Allen has been pretty generous with the football mm-hmm. as of late. That's that's part of the growth. Um, I listened to a little bit of Ron Rivera's press conference after the game. He was asked about, um, you know, just Kyle Allen and the learning curve. And he says, look, that's that's a young quarterback out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, we've got to get him to improve, but that's the job right now is getting him to improve. You're not expecting him to go out there and light it up like he did against the Cardinals and play the game he get, did against some other teams and win. 
Um, so there there could be turnovers. I think that swings field position, and I think that works in the Saints' favor. Let me ask you, is Rivera on the hot seat? I feel like we say that once <sighs> every other year, it feels like. I feel like he is, but at the same time, he still has the best bailout in the fact that his all-world quarterback has been hurt since, like, 2015. Right. Um, and he's dealing with young quarterbacks right now. Yeah. Um, that said, I would not blame Carolina, and I don't think many people would, if once the Cam Newton era ends, the Ron Rivera era ends, and you go in a new direction when yeah. you have the chance for a fresh start and a fresh coach to build something new with a bright future for Christian McCaffrey, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a young star in, in Christian McCaffrey and some young young studs on defense even outside of Keekley because um, I think Keekley's probably about what uh, – he's got to be close to 30, if not mm-hmm. 30 already. I think so. so. But anyway, that's a that's a – the coach here is not on the hot seat, um, and uh, hopefully the Saints – and I would be disappointed if they did not take care of business this week against yeah. Carolina. Yeah, Saints-Panthers could be a close one, but could also be a game that in the Dome especially – If it's a little tougher than you maybe have in your head, that's okay, as long as they figure out a way to win the game. Yeah, that's the key because you had the setback against Atlanta. Now it's handled business time, especially within the division and especially within the conference because these tiebreakers – could become a real thing, especially with Green Bay, because the Saints won't have a head-to-head with them this season. That's going to do it. Yep. That's, That's going to do one. it for the Pro Talk. We will be back to talk college football, LSU, college football playoff, maybe some disappointing Tulane, and River Bell Classic this week. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Bang that River Bell, John Bennett says. We'll be right back. From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. All right, we are back and talking college football. Juan Kincaid has finally made it to the building. Hey, hey. Welcome. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, LSU, still number one in the college football playoff. Yeah. The top six unchanged. Ohio State coming in at two. Clemson three. Georgia with one loss at four. Alabama at five. Probably rightfully so. Oregon at six. Utah at seven. Oklahoma staying at nine, but there's still a lot to be determined there as well. So, Juan Kincaid, how do you feel about that? Tell us how you feel. Well, I mean, I think the only thing we got out of the LSU Ole Miss game was that uh, you're kind of troubled with how LSU played defense, but they played good enough offense to beat anybody in the country. And I think that's what we took away from that game mostly, that look why they had a bit of a stumble defensively. And that was kind of an outlier from what they've seen all year long from that defense, that um, they are still one of the two best teams in the country along with Ohio State, in my opinion. Would I have been upset or surprised if Ohio State had jumped in after they blew another team out? No, probably not. But, but if, if, if LSU's number one and Ohio State's 1A, I think they're that too close. I think those two teams are on a collision course to meet for the college football championship. Yeah, I think for Ohio State to have jumped LSU this week, uh, it would have had to have been the Penn State week. As in, Ohio State would have had to give it in the committee a reason yeah. I agree. To, to jump LSU, not just LSU's defense not playing well enough. Um, like you mentioned, I don't think that's the norm. It's certainly not a normal offense they'd face. Not that I think that's a valid excuse, as we said in our last LSU podcast. I think 
Um, regardless, you've got to make those in-game adjustments, and it's easy for us to all sit on Monday and say, oh, yeah, if they slide the end this way and have the nickel play a little yeah. bit wider and force the run, whatever, um, fine. But we're not paid $2.5 million to make no. that adjustment no, two right. days later. Somebody else is to make that adjustment Saturday night. But I wouldn't mind taking the $2.5 million to make the adjustment. I got a few ideas. but You um, could pay me $250. <laughs> I could tell you what I think. Exactly. So um, disappointing, but – Still, I think I'm like a broken record at this point. The best teams in college football this year score points. LSU's yeah. better than that, at that than anybody else. So, um, until proven otherwise, uh, I think they're the best team in the country, and eventually it will be proven in the college football playoff. I'm sitting here looking at the one through six. Obviously, LSU, Ohio State, then Clemson, number three, defending champs, UGA at four, Bama five, Oregon six. This seems like there's a big gap. And I'm surprised I'm saying this. It feels, like it's a, it feels like it's a big gap between one and two and three. In other words, LSU and Ohio State, if, to me it feels like they're up here and Clemson is a bit of a gap away based on how they played this year. They haven't been as dominant on the field for the entire season as they have in the last couple of years, especially in an ACC where I don't believe any other team is ranked in that conference. They, they haven't looked their dominant self. Now, having said all that, they're still third and can, and can still play dominant football when, when it counts the most. But am I the only one that feels like there's a bit of a gap between the top two teams and, and that third-place team, which is Clemson? So here's the thing about Clemson. We haven't seen them they, they can look the part. smack a team that's yeah. ranked because they haven't played a team that's ranked, yeah. right? But I'm not going to call them not dominant. As it, they're beating the tar out of the teams they should beat the tar yeah. out of. They beat Florida State, who's not good, 45-14. to 14. They beat Louisville, 45-10. to 10. They beat Boston College, 59-7. to 7. They beat NC State, 55-10. to 10. And the team that was ranked in the top 20 a couple weeks ago that everybody said, oh, yeah, they could yeah. give Clemson control trouble, they, they just beat Wake Forest 52-3. to 3. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I think the bigger gap is between three and four because Clemson's proven – um, Georgia has choked in a lot of big games, yeah. nor are they as good as I think they were in years past. So I think that's where the gap is. Um, I would hesitate. I, I mean, there's, there's stuff to be proven. And, you know, I, I think Georgia loses to LSU in the SEC championship and yeah. gets knocked back. But I, I honestly think probably one of those Pac-12 teams is better than Georgia. I just don't think Georgia's the consistent uh, on either side of the ball as they were in years past. I agree. I'm not going to say there's a gap with Clemson, though. Um, I just It's like Heisman voting, kind of, you know? Like, yeah. you always want to see the Heisman contenders in the 630 game like LSU had against Texas or the evening games, you know, they've had against Ole Miss where they can run up the score, et cetera. You need to see them on national TV, and, and Clemson just hasn't been put there. One, because they put in this ACC network that I still don't know where to find I it agree. on YouTube TV. I have the channel. I haven't found it yet. Yeah. Um, and two, they're just not playing these primetime games. So the big question is going to be, and obviously we're looking at where Alabama is at number five. Can they even get back into the top four? Let's say they just walk all over Auburn, which is a big question mark now with Tua being out for the rest of the year and then putting in a backup quarterback. How will they play? They're still a very talented football team. But in the eyes of the committee, as it goes down the stretch here, let's say LSU beats Georgia. I think they'll beat them handily. Um, Georgia drops off. Alabama, let's say they beat Auburn handily by at least three touchdowns. Does Alabama eventually move in to the four spot? Or do you see a scenario where maybe Oregon gets in there over Alabama? Or maybe this Minnesota, if they run the table, 
Do they get back up in there? Well, we're, I mean, we're starting to see. There's a lot of questions right now. We're st- there's a lot of questions, but the paths are getting clearer yeah. because teams are beating each other, exactly. right? So I think the path would be Oregon is at Arizona State this week. Herm Edwards and Arizona State have been known to pull an upset yeah. or two. Um, let's say Oregon loses that but then beats Utah in the Pac-12. Though that knocks the Pac-12 out yeah. of contention. Um, let's say Penn State beats Ohio State, but then Minnesota beats Penn State in a rematch. I, Is there any way Ohio State falls out, you think, of top four? I think Ohio State would have to lose two games. Yeah. I think LSU would have to lose two games. I think those are two teams that when you reach ten wins and you've been as dominant as they are and as good as I they agree. are, I think uh, – <laughs> I think the right thing and the thing that my eyes say, unless they were to lose like really bad two yeah. games or really bad one game, those teams are, are are in because of the body of work, especially LSU. And depending on what Ohio State does, especially them too. I mean, um, they're, they're, they've played a lot of quality teams. They've beaten the brakes off of Wisconsin. They have the potential to do that to Penn State. They get – Minnesota in the uh, Big 12 championship potentially. They still got Michigan who's playing pretty yeah. good and they could easily Never beat know. the brakes off of them too. So style points matter in a sense but I think LSU and Ohio State, they should be good to go and and if I'm being quite honest, because I can be um, I'm not a team that has to say let's take it one game at a time. Yeah. I'm going to make predictions and I'm yeah. going to say those teams run the table and are yeah. pretty darn good. I would agree with you. I just th- again, and I know you said that there's not the gap between two and three. Really, it's between three and four. And I, as you say that, I'm just like, yeah, you're right about that. But I still think LSU and Ohio State are the clear yeah. best two teams in the country on because both of their sides schedules. Of the ball, because of their schedules, LSU playing their last two games at home. You know, against. Not very good football teams. A&M will get them a little bit of trouble, but for how long? I mean, they should blow both those teams out. I don't think Georgia can score enough to keep up with LSU. And, again, when you look at LSU this year, that's been the thing. Teams can't score enough to keep up with them. You play a good quarter, that's cute. They're going to hang 21 on you the next quarter. You play a good half, that's cool. They're going to come hang out 14 on you in the third quarter. It's like you just can't do it for an entire game. Um, It's been great adjustments. It's been great game planning. It's been knowing – when they can, um, you know, take advantage of the run and what Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been able to do. It's, it's been knowing when to go for the kill shot and when to get the ball down the field and really push the tempo. The play calling, the pace, and they've, they've learned themselves. You know, the first couple weeks it was a matter of they're playing so fast it's not great for LSU's defense. Yeah. And how do they put together a time-consuming drive and not just go, go, go. Like, they only knew how to play fast. And now, all of a sudden, it's become we can milk clock and throw the ball down the field. We can work the underneath routes. We can run um, and have methodical drives. They've kind of learned themselves. They've learned their roles. And, um, man, Jamar Chase has really separated himself as that dude. It's ridiculous. Jordan, I mean, Justin Jefferson, still excellent, obviously. Terrace Marshall just missed a couple games. Otherwise, he'd be just yeah. as much in the conversation. Still has nearly double-digit touchdowns, but Jamar Chase is just unbelievable. He is. He's just amazing. And we talked about this in the office of the day. I was comparing him to Jarvis, obviously, and, and Odell. And I was asking you, is, is Jamar Chase the more polished receiver overall compared to those two guys? And those are two of the best that played at LSU ever. Um, and I feel like, and I think you said you feel like as well, that as a polished receiver overall, he is better than those two guys. He's almost like a combination of the two. He has the speed, yeah. has the power of Jarvis, the speed of Odell. And um, is this the best receiver LSU's had in the last 20 years? Ah, oh, man, it's, it's up there. And, you know, as a sophomore – 
I have to really think about it, but think about guys in the sophomore campaigns they've had. This has got to be one of the best. Yeah. I, I don't have stats in front of me or anything, but um, yeah, the polish is there. He he runs so many routes well. Um, he's surprised himself, like he said, after the Vanderbilt game with his speed and his ability to yeah. take the slant to the house. And then just his competitiveness, his, his physical ability. Um, Ed Ogeron saying that when they saw him as a senior in high school, just his ability to go up and show the strong hands and compete against some of the best defensive backs that were in a camp in the country just made him a guy that you absolutely had to get on this football team because that's something that, you know, some receivers don't learn until the pros when you realize how physical the game can get. Um, and that's something that LSU's needed and to have the passing game and to, for Joe Burrow to put up the numbers he's had. You got to have that guy that um, may not necessarily be, quote, open, yeah. but he's still open yeah. because he's going to make that 50-50 ball an 80-20 ball. It seems like Jamar Chase is going to be a fantastic pro. Obviously, got to see, see where, how things continue for him going forward, but I just think he has all the tools yeah. to, to be. You look at just potential. I mean, depending on what happens with quarterback next year for LSU, the numbers may not be there, but I've seen enough, you yeah. know. I, I've seen enough to put him in just about any system. Like, that's a guy you can go to on third down. That's a guy you can go to yeah. for the big play. It is whatever it is. And then Justin Jefferson, he's going to be an outstanding slot receiver. Finds is. holes in the zone really well. Reads defenses right along with his quarterback really well. Um, has tremendous hands. Catches well in traffic. Can take a hit. Um, smart runner. Good run after the catch. Nifty. Has the agility, the balance to stay on his feet after making the catch and absorbing it, absorbing a hit. I mean, these guys are pros. We're watching a pro offense. Of the three Jeffersons, he, uh, George, uh, Justin's obviously the one that's going to be um, – George? Uh, yeah, George. Moving, <laughs> moving on up. Definitely going to be the one that's going to have the better and the, the longer NFL career going forward as long as he stays healthy, obviously. I'm looking forward to these, these next couple of weeks in college football, not from an LSU perspective, but seeing these other conferences – particularly the Big Ten, and see how things play out there because this top six is going to start changing up a little bit more It's a and more. fun schedule down the stretch. It is. You've got Ohio State still having to play Penn State and Michigan um, and then a Big Ten championship game where one of them is going to have to face Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. It's it going to be a lot of fun. Um, not having quite as much fun. You know where I'm going. Don't talk about Tulane, are you? You're going to talk about Tulane? They Damn. said it themselves. They got bullied at Temple. Yeah, they did. They got bullied off that field. Um, it was an eight-point game. Felt a lot further apart because for a while I just didn't think Tulane was going to score. Yeah. I was texting another friend in the area and saying, I don't think they're going to score in this game. And then they did, of course. Um, but they, the, the mentality and the, the physicality just seemed to get to them early. And it was cold, and Temple's got – you know, the stud linebackers that they do, and they were getting after McMillan and putting pressure on him, and Tulane wasn't able to run the ball well, but they just looked like they didn't belong up there at first. Yeah, that's the reason why they've never won up there at Temple. Uh, There's a reason why they don't have a win with the team over a winning schedule. They're a winning record on their schedule. And so that right there raises the question with me, and I thought that Tulane had turned a corner this year. I think they have turned a corner over the last two years. They're now a team that expects to get to a bowl game, and they can get to a bowl game because they have the talent to do so. The next step for them is can they win the games they're not supposed to or that they're, they're, they're considered to be close on that level. Can they win that game? And this year, I thought they could with McMillan, but, but, but these better teams – brought out the flaws in Tulane, and one of the biggest flaws that Tulane has remains at quarterback. Yeah. McMillan, I believe he has taken him as far as he's going to be able to take them on his talent level. He doesn't throw the ball very well. 
He's he careless with it still. Very careless. That's with it. my he biggest criticism. He throws the ball up, you know, and uh, hoping something will happen. And, uh, I mean, I think Willie Fritz has been amazing for that program. He's done the things he's wanted to do. He's promised that he – well, he didn't really promise, but, you know, he came in with the reputation of being able to turn a program mm-hmm. around in two years, did it in three, back-to-back bowl games this year, uh, bowl eligibility. And so I think he's done a good job in that. But this team, team still has another level it has to take, and that is – getting on the level of the, the Tulsa's and the SMU's and the Central Florida this weekend. That's where they've got to get to now in the conversation of being amongst the best three or four teams in this conference, and it's still a year away. The toughest part is you're a bit of a victim of your success at some point, regardless of the schedule. Like, they start the year with five quick wins, and then the bottom falls out because the schedule obviously got tougher toward the back end. Um, it's the exact so, opposite of last year. Yeah, I mean, your expectations were high to start the year. They get even higher when you start 5-1, and yeah. one, and then the bottom falls out, and so you're getting crushed. But, like, these aren't – again, these all aren't games they should have lost. They could have won at Temple. They could have won at Navy. Um, Never going to win at Memphis. They weren't going to win at Memphis. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, I, uh, there's some SEC teams that weren't going to win at Memphis Yeah, that but you night. know what, Chris? The biggest thing that disappoints you about the Memphis game – Everything that was on the line there. Yeah. You that, had a chance to open up America's eyes. That was the reputation game. That was it. And and they dropped the ball there and then at Navy too. And that's kind of what's really deflating. Um, and they, you want that signature win. Yeah. You know, right now. Houston was it. You Houston's Houston was their it. signature win right and now. Boy, they struggled. But Houston and that wacky player sitting out situation has really, you know, cooled off that hype. Nor do I think Houston was that good anyway. Well, I, I, thought, I thought Houston coming in was one of the top teams in, in, the, in the athletic conference, American Athletic Conference. But you just, you just want to see, like, the win over Navy or Memphis yeah. or UCF or Temple or SMU coming up. Um, that's, that's what this team's looking for. And, and you hear that. You, you can tell the team's disappointed. Um, before the Temple game that yeah. week, before they're talking about putting everything they got in these last 20 days and really trying to get one of these wins – you know the mountain and the uphill battle you have against UCF and SMU. I think they saw Temple as a really good chance to get that seventh win and be able to keep saying we've gotten a, a win better each and every year. It's going to get tougher, um, obviously, with UCF and, and SMU. So that's that's the thing you have to fa- face. You have to face that mentality. You've got to be able to go in there and bounce back from a loss, which yeah. they haven't always done well this year. No, they haven't. Um I really don't know what else to say about Tulane except for the fact that either you're going to show up and not get punched in the mouth and do the punching first for once. That's been one of their problems this year. They fall behind too far, obviously got to get on the, on the horse and try to catch up on everything, and they just run out of gas. Willie Fritz has already said they have to be better at starting football games. Mm-hmm. They are the saints of the American Athletic Conference. They will start slow, not get points early, have to find a way to come back. They just, they just have to get off to better starts, and they have to be a physical football team. I was really surprised to hear them talking about that, how they got uh, bullied. bullied. That's disappointing. Yeah. This late in the season with so much riding on the outcomes, disappointing. Yeah. It was toughness. It was a toughness factor. and, and um, It's yeah. almost like the two-lane teams of old before Fritz. They get this far in the season. They're not expected to do anything. And all of a sudden you just kind of roll over and, and get kicked in the teeth. Yeah. And you can't, you can't do that, not with all these expectations, not with everything that you have to gain. 
So, again, hopefully they, they've got senior day against UCF. Great chance to bounce back. That would be a really great statement when they, they are undefeated at home this year. If they finish that and can say that, they could, that would be the first time in a long time they'd Absolutely. be able to say that they were undefeated at home. And, obviously, beating UCF would be a big-time signature win, something you hang your hat on. Recruiting, and look, whether you go to SMU and lose or not, I do think if you beat UCF and you win a bowl game, that's real momentum you Absolutely. take into the next season. And I still think they, they can take momentum even if you were to, God, I hate to say it, lose out, but you just don't want that. You, you yeah. see the effect that winning a bowl game has. Look at LSU. Absolutely. It, it feels night and day from LSU losing to Notre Dame in a bowl game and beating UCF. Tulane has the chance to do that. And I think that's part of the reason why they did come into 2019 with yeah. momentum no, I agree. because they beat UL Lafayette uh, so well in that Cure Bowl last year. Uh, the big game this week. Yes. That's a, that's a river bell? That's what it sounds like when from me, yeah. Yeah, that's a river bell, yeah. if you didn't know. The river bell classic, Southeastern and Nichols, two top 25 FCS teams. A lot on the line, share of the Southland Conference on the line, an automatic bid to the FCF playoff on the line, and – um, you know, talking to the coaches today, I get a sense that, yes, there's a chance that the Southland Conference gets three teams in. It That'd would, be crazy. It would be Nichols, Southeastern, and Central Arkansas, who are the teams up for the share of the conference title. But um, I don't know. You don't want to leave that up to chance, honestly. So Nichols and Southeastern is going to be a big one. It's all about the quarterback in this one to me. You've yeah. got Chase 4K, the senior, the guy who this game is nothing new for. You've got Chase and Virgil. The second-year starter for Southeastern, they got beat by 44, shut out last year in this game, so he's going to be hungry. But he's got help this year with Cole Kelly, a bit of a change-of-pace quarterback, the Tim Tebow to Chris Leak mm -hmm. comparison I like to make. Um, so it, it has the potential to be a really exciting game. Yeah. In Hammond. Yes, in Hammond. And uh, Pack Strawberry Stadium, I predict. I think it's going to be a fun game to go to. Um, this is one of those games where all the kids we covered in high school – that didn't go to LSU or didn't go out of state to Bama, whatever, they're going to be Shoot, playing Shoot, some this of them game. went to LSU and yeah, then bounced right back. back. Yeah, it's, it's always just a fun game because you know these kids. You've watched them for four years. You watched them for many years before that playing in a, you know, coming up in football. Nichols especially. And Southeastern's done a good job of getting Louisiana they guys have. and turning that around. And they have. Nichols, I mean, a couple uh, De La Salle guys. Uh, Dejon Dixon from Carr, Chase Forkid, obviously from Rummel, yeah. Sully Lesh out of Lutcher. Um, a lot of guys my that. My favorite name, Sully Lesh. I love that name. It's a Lutcher yeah. name, dude. Yeah, absolutely. It's a Lutcher blue collar name, and he's a blue collar baller. I did a story on him um, in high school when he was a senior at Lutcher. I think it was our player of the week one time, and I went and did a story on him when I was working at WAFB. Dude was a volunteer firefighter. That's awesome. In high school. <laughs> Does it all, man. He's awesome. Um, so, yeah, look forward to. Uh, that game, and we talk so much about Chase Forcade with Nichols, and obviously he's kind of been hand-in-hand -hand with their success over the last four years but and then the rebuilding of that program. But there are 21 seniors on this team, is what Coach Rebo tells me, and um, they remind them all that, you know, how big this is and yeah. you want to go out on a big note. And, you know, it feels like it's been building up to what can be a really special ending for Nichols. They've, you know, went from a team that had no wins. Oh, my God like five, six years ago, yeah. and then they finish just below 500, and then they get into the playoffs a couple of years ago, then they win a playoff game last year, and um, this it, is expected it's there to now. all come together this year because you're such a veteran football team they have over there. I think the best-case scenario for both Southeastern and Nichols is that this is a really good game that's very close. 
So the team that loses, they lose a close, they mm-hmm. lose a close game and can still get into the FCS playoffs. I would love to see Nichols and Southeastern both get there because no one thought, no one thought Southeastern nope. would be in this point. And Frank is a fantastic coach. Frank Selfo at, at, at Southeastern. I remember he was Chris Selfo, his brother's assistant offensive coordinator here at Tulane many years ago. Nicest guy. Goes into the Southeastern program and turns them around in year number two. Give him all the credit because they've done a good job up there. But no one saw this. Picked to finish 10th in the Southland and now they're in a tie for first place and and looking like a team that could, that could do some damage if they got into the FCS playoffs. So I, I would love to see... Uh, just a really good football game up there where both teams keep it play it close play it, play it close down the stretch and both teams get into the FCS playoffs. Well, one of the things that made headlines at Southland Conference Media Day was when Frank Selfo got on the stage and said, "We can win the Southland Conference." And he repeated it, "We can win the Southland Conference." Or he said, "No, we can beat every team in the Southland Conference or win every game." And then repeated it. But then he also said, "We could lose every <laughs> game in the Southland Conference." But he meant that to say like you can I mean, the teams are so good, and we've seen it. I mean, Nichols didn't look great against um, Abilene Christian, I believe, who's beaten them two years in a row now, and then they've bounced back from that. Um, Southeastern looked really bad against McNeese, found themselves in a three-touchdown hole early, bounced back from that. Um, They've turned their turnover issues around. So it was a a tight conference. I think even Northwestern State, who was a punching bag, has won – three in a row now against yeah. Texas teams. And so um, it's, it's been a competitive conference, but it feels right to have these two teams yeah. um, in the position they are right now. It's great to see, the, uh, to be reminded of the quality of high school football we have in this state when these kids go off to play at LSU at Southeastern. And you love to, you'd love to see more of it. Yes. I mean, um, I'm not calling anybody out, but, man, don't fall in love with the SEC and Big Ten, Big 12, whatever. Exactly. Like, at some point – and it's hard to say. I wasn't a college football player, obviously. I, I don't. I'm not in those guys' shoes. But like everybody's got the dream of yeah. um, going pro and being at a big program and playing on national TV. But that's changed now. Th- not only that, it just it doesn't always happen that way. And I think at the end of the day, some guys would probably look back and you you make memories, obviously, whether you're playing or not on those teams. But you could also go play somewhere and be yeah. a legend in some town. Um, and I think that's that's important. And and honestly, with TV rights these days. I mean, Every game's Nichols and Southeastern have been playing on ESPN yeah. Plus, ESPN 3. Still watch those. That's the thing. I mean, the players that play at these levels, they're still going pro. It's like we always say. If you Scouts play, will find you. They will find you. I mean, if you can play, you will find yourself in the NFL, whether it be as a late draft pick, wherever you go. Like, it, it remains to be seen where Chase 4K is going to go with the draft, mm-hmm. if he makes it in the draft at all. Sean Vazan was saying he believes he needs to be playing one of these all-star games, and maybe so, but I think he has the pedigree – and he's put up numbers at Nichols. Over getting 10, a tryout somewhere. Getting exactly. a pro day somewhere. Getting um, in camp. You know, I, I, th- I think he goes to the NFL. I think he gets drafted. I think he's probably a le- fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. I just think he's talented enough. And Danny Ellen got drafted. Exactly. So, um, again, this game is going to be full of talented football players. And some of these guys are going to be playing at the Nominium. going to be playing at the next level. A lot of guys in the Southland are going to be playing at the next level. Cause good and it's not uncommon, man. I mean, I think I – think more and more scouts and personnel departments in the NFL are looking for these guys that these steals. Do the undrafted guys, yes. the Emmanuel Butlers, the guys who can come into your camp and turn heads. If yep. it's a guy who can return punts extremely well, yep. a Deontay Harris, yep. good job on you. You found him, and so I think, especially when you're talking about kids out of Louisiana, and I know we ran the stat in years past, I don't know what it is this year, but Louisiana having the most per NFL capita. players per capita. Always close. Yep. Look, man. 
it's a no-brainer. You got to check out the Southern Conference in Louisiana from Northwestern State and a guy like uh, Jazz Ferguson mm-hmm. to a guy like Dejon Dixon and Chase Forcade. It's and fun football. Some to of watch these too. running backs at Nichols. Um, I think there's a lot of talent to be had at the next level. I think both Southeastern and Nichols are fun teams to watch because they like to throw it. Mm-hmm. They've got good athletes out there on the field. Um, guys, they spread it out. Guys that could play in the SEC because some did at one point and mm-hmm. aren't there anymore. So um, I think people get caught up in the whole FCS, FBS thing and, and re- don't realize that it's still good football being played yep. at some of these schools. So all that to say, keep your eyes on that Riverbell Classic. We'll be pumping that up. We'll have the highlights Thursday. We'll yes, have can't wait. plenty of reaction on Friday. Speaking of talent, though, and future NFL talent, there's some of it in high school, and they are balling in the playoffs balling. right now. Yes. Everybody's on the field this week. Had a lot of bye weeks last week. Yeah. We get them all on the field, and we get Garland Gillen on the podcast coming up next to talk prep. Stay with us. G-Man. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer, you're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love, a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. Welcome back into Fox 8 Overtime Triple Coverage Podcast Round 3. John Bennett here with Garland Gillen, who's taking a break from a big story that he has coming this week. Can, can, we, can you tell the people what you got yeah, going? Yeah, I already posted on Instagram and Facebook. I uh, went back down to uh, LaRose, Louisiana, talked to Ed Ogeron's mother, Coco. She is an absolute joy to be around. Uh, we talked about the big Alabama win. Um, what she thinks about the haters out there that question her son even getting the job. She gave some really spicy sound bites about that. She might have mentioned the dome possibly in January. But just like a coach's mother, she said, but we're taking it one game at a time after she said the dome. So she is – She's well coached. Dude, she – I will say this, man. Lance Washington was uh, – was my photographer. He's like, man, she can talk. We were there an hour and 45 minutes, and we probably had about 30 minutes of sound. Like, it was just her talking before and after for another hour and 15 minutes. She can roll it, man. We talked about Big Ed, which is Ed Ogeron's father, who passed away in 2011 of cancer. We talked about how sad they are that he's not around for the big run. So there's a lot of good stuff in there, man. I'm really excited. It's going to air. Should we make this a podcast? <laughs> should we release the, the all the sound on his podcast? It, I got it. I diced it up there. Um, it, it's going to air after our NFL on Fox game on Thursday night, which is Colts-Texans. Yep. So uh, it's probably going to be like a 10.30, 10.45. So just, hey, y- y'all, obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you're a big football fan. So you're going to be watching the NFL game already. You know, if you've got a fantasy team in there, you're probably not doing Survivor with these two teams. But it's going to be a good game. So check it out. And then uh, uh, Coco Ogeron will be after in our newscast. Hey, and if you like it, let us know. Use the Tiger Hall app. Get in touch. And maybe we'll do a, a podcast, release all the, uh, all the interview sound. But for now, we're here to talk high school football. And we are going to start with week two of the playoffs in Class 5A. And one of the bigger upsets we had last week was number 24, East St. John, beating Central 34-30 on a touchdown with two minutes left. 
Uh, Marcel August, it was a thing of beauty, and they've got airline this week. What do you think about that one, G? Well, I will say this. Uh, I did uh, Class 5A, I feel like there's like five like really, really good teams, and everybody else are kind of like question marks. Um, Covington went to Sam Houston and just rolled them up. I didn't expect that to happen. So now I, I don't know what's going on with these like 7 through 32 teams now. I, I You know, Car, uh, uh, Covington is hosting Destrian this week. And Destrehan should have just blown the doors off of Ponchatoula, okay? They were up 27 nothing. I thought the game was over. They let TJ Finley and Ponchatoula get back into the game. Finley accounted for four touchdowns. Now, Kyle Edwards had one of the best games of his career. Five touchdowns rushing, which was the second time he said he's done that this season, which is crazy. But that also shows you that Destrehan could put up points, but they're also giving up way too many points. So I'm not going to say it's a coin toss. I'm going to say Destrehan is a favorite in that game. Um, but anything can happen. And the same thing with Mandeville uh, hosting Alexandria Senior High. Yeah. Jacobian Guillory is, is obviously going to LSU next year. He's a verbal commitment. He's he's a, a huge stud. I think he's squatting over like 650 pounds. I saw 700 pounds. Yep, saw that on Twitter. Yep, yep. Um, but but when you got Tot and you got Will Shepard, uh, Devin Tot, uh, uh, quarterback at Mandeville, you got Will Shepard, a receiver, uh, they can light it up. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not – pretty sure where I can say which games are a lock. I will say this. Hallville going to Zachary, that is a tall task for uh, Coach Salter from Maggio and their team. Puka Williams ain't walking through that door. No. They got Daryl Evans, who was out last season with an injury. He's come back this year. He's had a really good season. But uh, when you got Keelan Brown playing quarterback, uh, who delivered a state title against West Monroe last year, you got Chris Hilton, that wide receiver, also destroyed West Monroe in that state championship game last year. It's in Zachary. Um, I, I, Zachary is one of the uh, one of the the, the 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 contenders for the state championship. That's gonna be a tough one for Hallville. Yeah, and we got to see both of those North Shore teams going to Lake Charles and putting up a lot of offense. Uh, Mandeville was thirty-eight to fourteen over Barb. Covington put up forty-two over Sam Houston with Edron Cooper running wild. Um, that'll be fun to watch. A lot of offense that we saw early on from Class Five A. But only five teams left with two of them facing off. So that one's paring down. But 4A is going strong. And it starts at the top with number one, Lakeshore. They've got Leesville this week. We had Warren Easton pulling upset over Peabody with a 44-6 win. Uh, they've got Tioga. And then Bell Chase beat Huntington last week. They'll face Bro Bridge. But the local-on-local -local matchup that we have here in New Orleans is going to be Edna Carr facing off against Carver. Yeah, Carver has won three state titles in a row, but there's not the same edge to the team this year. Obviously, Leonard Kelly's back. He's a starting quarterback. Uh, he was on the team last year. He was uh, helped uh, them win a championship in the Dome over Warren Easton. But they're not blowing out teams like they did in the past. They struggled against Landry Walker, who is not a good team, who didn't even make the playoffs. No, just 18-14. to 14. Yeah, um... 13-0 over Helen Cox. It, it, Got a little bit going last week against Cecilia, 49-21, but yeah, even then. Yeah. So Carver can put up some points. I mean, you got Linares L. Page Jr. Um, I uh, I know I texted you uh, before I went to uh, Alabama when I covered them against Lusher. They put 42 points in the first quarter against against Lusher. So Carver can and light it up, man. They got a good running back. They got a good quarterback. Uh, L. Page Jr. had a punt return in that Lusher game. Uh, you know, his father played at Tulane. Um, that's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a Joe Brown Parks. It's going to be on the turf. So there's going to be a lot of points. 
Carver got knocked out of the playoffs last year against Bell Chase. It was our game of the week, and it was like a total mud pit. And they knew they were going to be in trouble from the start because it just neutralized their speed. This game is going to be on the turf. They can score a lot. I'm putting Carr on upset alert, okay? Oh, 19-3, upset alert. Yeah. It, I, Carver did it. They went to Franklinton and pulled that upset. I, I'm just saying watch out for Carver, man. It's I think it's going to be a close game. Um, you talk about other 4A teams. I think Lake Shores is destined to go to the Dome. They got a really strong team. Uh, uh, they should get through Leesville this week on the road. Uh, the one thing I'm going to be also watching is Warren Easton. Obviously, we it's well documented if you listen to this podcast that they their quarterback transfer before the season. Um, Deshaun Holmes came in; he was a cornerback last year. He's now playing quarterback. Um, his passing is just not uh, of the highest quality, but he he was he was a cornerback last year, so he's not expected to be the, this guy this gunslinging quarterback. They still have a shot Clayton who committed to Colorado, ran all over Peabody last week. So you got that. The game's on Saturday. Uh, so if you're a big uh, high school football fan, you can watch Mac 35 play on Thursday. You can watch Carr on Friday. You can watch East on Saturday. There's a lot of football in the area. And then on to three. Oh, I got to adjust my volume here. <laughs> Adjusting Garland's volume because St. James plays Green Oaks. And what do we know about Green Oaks, Garland? Well, Green Oaks... I know our listeners don't know this uh, yet if you're a big recruiting guy because he's in the class of 2022. But Dakota Crawford plays for Green Oaks. He plays wide receiver. Um, th this is going to be fun. Uh, our, our affiliate in Shreveport is going to be covering the game. I'm hoping for a ton of Dakota <laughs> highlights. And their quarterback, watch the highlights. Got to watch Fox State Football Friday. Their quarterback's like a bowling ball. He's like five foot seven, but he weighs like two hundred, like twenty pounds. He's huge, and he's like bouncing off tacklers. Because I was trying to find some highlights of the coldest. I'm not gonna yell it again. <laughs> um, I only found one highlight of the coldest. Because he's a 20, uh, 2022. I'm sorry, twenty twenty two recruit. I don't know if I said twenty twenty one. I might got messed up. But he's only a sophomore right now. He's twenty twenty two. So that's going to be pretty cool. But St. James is one of the favorites to go to the Dome. I expect St. James to win this game, but it's going to be cool to see if the coldest can uh, get some big plays in this game. Wow. All right. The coldest. I'm proud of you. So if you really kept yourself together for that. Um, going to be tough to top that. But also in 3A, you've got a uh, Booker T. Washington team that really surprised not just beating Lutcher, but 47-21. to 21, And now they'll take on Madison Prep. And the guy to watch for there is their wide receiver, uh, Tyrese Johnson, who's got offers from Tennessee and Virginia, even though he's just a class of 2021 guy. Booker T. Washington, for all intents and purposes, should have beat Newman. They, yeah. They were up on him, um, but Arch worked his magic, and they came back and beat him at the end. This is Wayne Reese's uh, son coaches this team. Uh, so they got a lot of talent uh, on, on this team. Uh, I mean, they crushed Lutcher, man. I was surprised when I saw that score. Madison Prepto has major burns at cornerback also, um, who's going to LSU next year. Uh, he's a big-time player. So I would definitely uh, – this is going to be a tough one for them. But Booker uh, T. Washington, man – there's gonna be a t they're a team to watch on the rise. The the the, the thing with, with with schools, this is a Kip school, and they changed the name of the school, so it's confusing where these kids come from, what's the name of the school, and everything. But uh, I would watch this team going forward because they got some talent on their team. Well, you mentioned Wayne Reese. We'll transition to Mac 35, number six seed. 
They beat Mentorship in the first round, 29-6. And they've got Lake Charles College Prep up next. This is the Edwin Goode special, okay? Thursday night football. Our Photog loves some Thursday night football games. This is probably the last Thursday night football game of the year. So Edwin Goode's going to soak it all up. I'm sure he's going to stay there for most of the game. I'll guarantee that because the next one's Thanksgiving. Right, right. No one's going to play with Thanksgiving. I don't know. There's there's still, there's still a field shortage in New Orleans. You I'm never gonna, know. I'm going to call it the lock of the year that Edwin Gooding is going to be shooting. Wait, he's not going to be shooting He'll high school football. Atlanta. He's going to be covered. A little thing called Saints-Falcons. Yeah, yeah. So, I think, I think, so you know what? Edwin if he's listening to this, he'll be very happy Wednesday morning on his way into work. Well, at least – well, you know what? Edwin is guaranteed to be shooting football next Thursday night. It'll just be of the pro vi- variety. There you go. You know, so, yeah. So, Edwin will be working, but – uh. McDonough 35 uh, dropped down to 3A now. They're now one of the bigger teams in that classification. Obviously, Wayne Reese is a legendary coach. Um, This team was really young last year. I mean, they got steamrolled in some games last year, and maybe that's paying off now because they had a lot of freshmen on their team last year playing cornerback, uh, playing receiver, and now those guys are finally growing up. Uh, They might make a little run because I'm not going to lie. Okay, we know a lot about high school football. I do not know a lot about Lake Charles College Prep, okay? Brady Renard, who works at KPLC in, in Lake Charles, has been texting back and forth about a few things. Um, he seems to have a little gauge on him, but anything could happen in this game on Thursday night. Let's just say, throughout all the records, when Lake Charles College Prep faces <laughs> Mac 35. Well, hey, we had two teams, uh, Mandeville and Covington, go to Lake Charles, get wins. So maybe the uh, record against Lake Charles will continue. On to Class 2A, where we have three teams left. And they are the five, six, and seven seed in this order: Amy, Kentwood, and Pine. Well, Amy obviously won state last year. Um, they're going on the road this time around. Uh, they're playing at Welsh, uh, which is—I uh, mean—they were a former. Uh, got into the state title game last year. Got beat though. Um, Amy, we'll see. Okay, uh, I, I still haven't got a good gauge if they're legit yet. We're going to find out in these next few games here. But I will say this. Um, Kentwood moved up the 2A this year. This has been really intriguing to see uh, how they've done so far. One last week uh, at home this week in South Plaque. I expect them to win that game. I've seen South Plaque play. Now, it was against Newman, and they actually just got boat raced in that game. But uh, going under the tank, as you know, John, because you're from the North Shore, it's very intimidating uh, going under the tank at Kentwood there, man. The fans are wild over there. So I, I would expect the, the ruse, the kangaroos, to pull a win out. All right. And that brings us to 1A where we've got the number one seed, West St. John. I, I think there's no way that West St. John's not in the state title game this year. They got so much offensive talent on their team. Um, I, I, when I covered them week one, they were finally they were just starting to get things together. Lost to St. James, which there's nothing to be ashamed about losing to them. I think West St. John's going to start rolling through these teams. LaSalle, who's out of more out of uh, central Louisiana, uh, they're going to get steamrolled in this game. West St. John might drop like 50 on them. They're going to destroy them. That is our only 1A team, so all eyes on you, West St. John. On to Division One, where it is all about the Catholic League yeah, oh for yeah. the most part. Yeah. We've got five teams left from the Catholic League, including number one facing number eight, Rummel St. Aug. I, I got to say, and you've seen it if you watch our show every week, St. Aug is just a roller coaster. One week they're playing lights out, the next week they're getting steamrolled in games. Um, but it, it, I don't care what kind of game they bring this week, Rummel's on another level right now. man. They they're, did put up 45 against Bird. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Now against Rummel's defense, 
They put up a, if they put up 21, I'd be impressed. Rumble's defense is the best in the 21 state. 21 would be the most they've allowed this year. There you go. That that shows you. And and, and Kyle Wickersham, slowly but surely, he's getting more comfortable in this offense. Um, helped lead a comeback against John Curtis when they're down 14 nothing at halftime. Um, I, I think I think Rumble has this one there. They're playing at Joe Yenny Stadium. Uh, you know they're gonna be on their home turf the whole way through. Uh, Rummel. Um, you talk about other Catholic League games. John Curtis is just gonna just destroy Jesuit. I, I think John Curtis is on another level. That's gonna be. I know they say this is a collision course. Uh, with John Curtis and Rumble, I don't believe that yet no. because I'm not doubting Catholic High. Catholic High don't is do it. Catholic High is St. Paul's this week. St. Paul's good luck. Okay, you beat Holy Cross. You got a W. Three safeties. I looked this up. I looked this up because we're sitting there saying. Three, they got to they won nine to seven over Holy Cross. All right, how many ways can you get to nine points? Most people would say like, oh, touchdown and a safety, oh, three yeah. field goals. Oh yeah, touchdown, missed extra point, field goal. Yeah, yeah, three safeties and a field goal. I looked this up. In NFL history, there's only been one team to record three safeties in a game. St. Paul's did that, so that was cool. Yeah. The, they they played really strongly against uh, uh against Holy Cross, but Catholic is just another beast, man. Catholic beat up on uh on Carr pretty bad in that game. Yeah. Um. They they what what St. Thomas More won. one. They they are they are you being high. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. If Coach Fertitta, uh, who's very uh is very active on Twitter. Um. He's on there all the time. Uh. They're gonna win this week. And then that's going to set up John Curtis and Catholic in the semifinals, and that's going to be going down, man. That's going to be a really good game. Uh, Brother Martin hosts Scotlandville at Gormley. I expect Brother Martin to roll in that one. Brother Martin just got a strong defense, and Garrett Mamahat every single week gets a, uh, gets another week under his belt there, and he's starting to really feel his oats now. Well, you ruled it out, but I will just say, if so, you're, you're if Brother Martin wins, you're guaranteed a rematch against the winner of Rummel St. Og. They played in the regular season. Catholic League. If Jesuit pulls the upset and if St. Paul's pulls the upset, that would also be a rematch in this Division One that's full of rematches. Just a long shot, but something yeah. to consider because I know you're upset about this Division One setup. Yeah, no, no. Jesuit's not beating John Curtis. I'm, I'm sorry. I love – And St. Paul's probably is not beating Catholic. I love Coach Sanji. I love Coach Sears. They're very nice guys. Uh, very uh, – very uh, uh, good with the media there. Always answer our phone calls for interviews. But – I don't know if it's going to happen for him. Okay. Well, speaking of teams that are facing long odds, on to Division Two, Vanderbilt Catholic pulled cool. the upset. They were the 11 seed. They beat number six, Hannon, and they get rewarded with number three, U-High, fresh off their 49 nothing beatdown of Lusher. Oh, wow, man. So that's tough. But you've got a freshly rested De La Salle team, the number two seed in Division Two, who will play host to Turlings Catholic. That's gonna be intriguing, uh, De La Salle uh, against uh, Turlings Catholic. De La Salle is a two seed. Um, they got one of the better running backs in the state, Montreal Johnson. Uh, I would say uh, that De La Salle is actually the underdog in this game because if you watch the tape, obviously Cole Milford's having a rough season at quarterback for De La Salle. Um, he's cost them. I would say cost him because that's a little harsh because he's only a sophomore it's his first year. But he's made a lot of mistakes this year. Um, I, I know he's gotten stronger as the year's gone on. But the thing is that everybody knows that Montreal's getting the ball, and it makes that offense really hard to work. And um, I, it, that's going to be a good one, man. 
And if Delisau wins that, they play U High next week. Whew. Good luck, Coach Manali, because U High is, is straight balling. I'll say this with – we talked about it with Shad Clayton, you name it. You have a really talented player in high school football. Sometimes that guy can take over. But still long odds. Speaking of a guy taking over, Division three. Uh-oh. You think I know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about Arch Manning. I the kid has taken over this season, and uh, they're fresh off a bye, as yeah. most teams in the select divisions are. Yeah. They play host to Dunham. Yeah. They had the, a bye this weekend. Jarmon Sutherland went for a recruiting visit at, at uh, Dartmouth. Uh, Buddy Tevens is the head coach at Dartmouth, who used to coach where? I'm just thinking the Dartmouth Green Wall. Dartmouth Green Wall? No, I <laughs> you got you got me on the coach because I'm I'm thinking Dartmouth. Buddy Tevens instituted the Buddy system at Tulane, was the head coach. You can find him every summer at the Manning Passing Academy, but he's the head coach. I think they're the big green, Dartmouth. I searched Dartmouth mascot and I got Keggy the Keg. Is I'm the unofficial mascot of Dartmouth t- College. Unofficial. I'm going to say Dartmouth's a big green. I think so, too. That's Man, what I was this thinking. podcast is taking a weird turn. But anyway, so Jarmon Sutherland went for a recruiting visit at Dartmouth. He's our big, big green. Big, big green. green. I'm right. Big green. Yeah. Uh, Arch oh, Man- so you could go from being a green into a big green. There you go. See, it, that was worthwhile. And wait, and Tulane is recruiting Jarmon. So he is just envy with green. North Texas? Me and green. Okay, maybe so. He could be a jet speaking in the NFL. Of, speaking of uh, the Greenies, um, uh, Arch Manning was up at Ole Miss this weekend because his grandfather got honored with the 1969 Sugar Bowl team. So Archer's on the sideline. Uh, so everybody got to enjoy their weekend uh, off. But they knew they were playing Dunham last Saturday, okay? They've probably analyzed. Dunham also had a bye. Dunham also had a bye. They've been probably overanalyze this tape okay they know the ins and outs everything with Dunham Dunham's nine and one Newman's nine and one um that's gonna be my second game since there are so many local games this week and we have a lot of affiliates in this in this state we're trying to help each other out I'm not doing a game of the week this week everybody's gonna take a camera volume yeah everybody's taking a camera out I'm I'm getting two games I'm all Brown's gonna get two games Edwin Goode's getting two games Lance Washington's getting two games in North Shore we're all out so I'm gonna start Rumble I'm gonna end at Dunham Newman because I think this is gonna be a really close game um it, it, it there's a lot on the line I mean this is obviously Arch's first game uh in the postseason um, it, you know, the, I, lo- I love the postseason. Weather changes. I didn't love it that much when I was at Oxford on Saturday because it was 35 degrees in the third quarter and I had a mask on and everything. It was and freezing. gloves. Had gloves. Had my Fox 8 ski hat on. Man, I had my long camel hair jacket. Man, I was. Did you really wear that face mask I saw I on Instagram that was I'll... like the, the skeleton face? Was that on your Instagram? Can we plug your Instagram? John. I'm a journalist. Would I lie to you? Of course I put that mask on. I was freezing my buns off in the third quarter. Now, I will say this. In the fourth quarter, I took it off because I had to be on camera after the game, and I was worried that, like, like the mask was going to leave marks on my face, you know, the imprints. So I took it off at the end, and thank goodness by the time uh, I did my uh, you live. You looked great. You really I did, did my one-on-one with Brody Mill Athletic, who's come on every single week except for the one Cheers game. Cheers to Brody. Check him out on theathletic.com. Yeah, yeah he's, he's done a one-on-one with me every single week except for Vanderbilt. That's the only game I didn't go to this year because I couldn't get a flat out early enough in the morning. But that game was already taken care of. But – Getting back to my main point, Newman Dunham is going to be a fantastic game. It could go down to the wire. And another contender in Division Three, our number three seed, St. Charles Catholic, taking on Episcopal this week. Episcopal did play, and whoa, did they play? They beat North Lake Christian fifty-one to nothing. Yeah, uh, St. Charles Catholic. 
it is going to probably roll Episcopal this week, okay? Episcopal's fine. You know, went to Country Day and they lost. Um, it's all set enough for St. Charles Catholic's going to probably play at Notre Dame of Crowley next week, who is in the Dome every single year. That team is always stacked. This is a really good team by St. Charles Catholic. They are no doubt a contender for the state championship. They got a good running back, good quarterback, got Narcisse on the defensive line, who's a two-lane verbal commitment. Um, this is one of Frank Monica's best teams he's ever had. Uh, St. Charles Catholic is no doubt a contender uh, to go to state. Uh, so they would possibly play Notre Dame and Crowley if, if Newman wins. They would go to Lafayette Christian Academy, who uh, Trev Falk is one of the coaches of, played at LSU. So uh, we got some big our, – our, our teams in our area could possibly do a Lafayette invasion next week. Indeed. And our final team in Division Four, number eight, Country Day, taking on Vermilion Catholic. Oh, the Justin Ibieta era might be over with on Friday night. Vermilion Catholic's a one seed. They're going to Abbeville. Uh, now we'll say this, Vermilion Catholic's quarterback was out last week. He suffered injury in Week 10, so they used their backup quarterback. And they so, still won 50-7. to seven. That's that's crazy, man. That, that shows you how dominant Van, uh, Vermilion Catholic is. Or uh, it tells you something about number 16, Ascension Christian. Yeah. Eh. Uh, country Day, uh, Justin Ibiet has had a good season, but uh, they the offensive line had a total redo this year. They graduated a lot of guys. Uh, this could be the end of Justin Ivieta era, uh, and it's been a fantastic run. What a great kid. Uh, can't wait to see what he does at Tulane next year. All right. Well, hey, that'll do it for Fox Hill Football Friday. We're off to go Google all of the unofficial mascots of the Ivy League. But until then, we urge you to get in touch with us using the Final Play app, Tiger Huddle app. Let us know if you want to hear more from Coco Ogeron, Garland's story Thursday night. Uh, but send in those questions, Tiger Huddle, Final Play app. And be sure to rate and review the podcast. Spread the word. Until then, that'll do it for Fox 8 Overtime. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer. You're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.